This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Dune by Gale Force 9. Episode 110, Dune, House Atreides Overview. Music by Brian Capillus, hosted by Hunter Donaldson and Matt Martins. Serious show, serious We're podcast. Serious People come here because they want to hear strategy insights on the latest and greatest strategy games. And by that, I mean two <laughs> games. I mean two of the board games that exist. Two of the board games that exist. A lot of one, very little of the other. <laughs> Dude, we're going to. It's funny that we spent so much of the summer being like, oh, what's our next game going to be? It's such a big deal. Yeah. We're not even going to get to episode three before the end of the year. Yeah. Because we got yeah. so much Twilight Imperium stuff going on. <laughs> But we finally got to it. We were finally here for the first proper, just kind of, not guide, because you said we can't say that word anymore. I don't like saying guide for these, because it gives the wrong impression. Yeah, but it is a good introduction. Yeah, uh, it's an overview. Yeah, and I think House Atreides uh, makes sense to start with thematically. Obviously, the main characters of Dune are the good guys that we're rooting for are House Atreides. So you think they're good guys, huh? Uh, somewhat, somewhat. Uh, I mean, I think Duke Le- Duke Leto. Um, yeah. Duke Leto is probably my favorite character, so I think I have kind of a bias. Yeah. In well, general. I think in the first book they're certainly good guys. It just yes, that's where it takes its turn. Right. Um, well, no spoilers for the book. Oh, really? Um, Are we? we yeah. No spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers. Every, for the book. every time you play Dune, you rewrite the book, so you don't yes. have to worry about spoilers because Doesn't you're matter. making up the plot yourself. Yes, exactly. Um. <laughs> But I, I have an interesting thing I want to throw out at the beginning. Um, do you think that, uh, like, as far as approachability is concerned, is Atreides, like, a good starter house? Like, a good uh, starter faction? I, personally, I like it a lot. Um, so, there's sort of, of an issue in, uh, I'll compare it to uh, this weird game, Twilight Imperium. Oh, uh, why? There's, why? There's a, fa- <laughs> there's a faction. Why would in- you compare it to that? Uh, in Twilight Imperium called the Universities of Jolnar, and there's also mm-hmm. the Yasaral Tribes, and both of them get lots of uh, tech or action cards uh, based on who we're talking about, respectively. Um, and some people are like, I don't like making those an early faction because then it's a lot of information overload. But I think it's an amazing introduction faction right. for people because it means you get to actually see stuff and learn more and more and more about the game. I think mm-hmm. anybody who's digging into a game that's as dense as Twilight Imperium or Dune, is like already fine. They're fine to read a bunch of text. It's it's not going to overwhelm them that much. They'll be okay. Uh, so for me, I like Atreides because now, at the very least, you get to see every single card rather than just like, oh, shoot, a card just came out and I don't know the whole deck yet, but I definitely didn't know to plan for this thing. Atreides, you get to learn every card as it is bid on and then understand more of the game so i think it is the perfect starter faction if you have a group of six people and one of them is a brand new player i feel like i would always suggest that they be the atreides player so that they can just familiarize themselves with components i like that but i will say this uh to kind of make a distinction between 
House Atreides within Dune, and then the Asaral tribes and the Jolnar in Twilight Imperium. Yeah. If you're not familiar with Twilight Imperium in <laughs> in that game, these two factions we're talking about, they get a lot of stuff just in general, but they yeah. also have a lot of wiggle room and that it feels like Jolnar yeah. and Isarl can kind of make a lot of mistakes and not get super punished for it. With Isarl, it's like, oh, you got all these cards. Oh, yeah, so you kind of wasted that one or used that one suboptimally. Not a big deal. Atreides, I do not feel, have that level of wiggle room. Yeah. So while you might get a lot of valuable information to take into your next game of Dune... I do not think that it is super likely that you're going to do really awesome your yeah, first game. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't expect to necessarily win, but at the very least, you're going to actually learn the game yes. more. Uh, yes. Yeah, the, an Emperor or a Spacing Guild is a, a more simple lead into the game where you're just like, okay, I've got all the money I need to do stuff, and I'm going to be okay. Yeah. That, that's definitely not how it feels to play Atreides. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah totally. Money is an issue. Uh, let's let's like get into it a little. Yeah, uh, let's, let's talk about it. Let's do some kind of just ability talk. Uh, the first thing, let's lead off with the basics of just like what you start the game with. Uh, and th these are, uh, I would call this the standard opening, even though there's only six factions and nothing is actually even really standard. This is uh, what feels like a normal starting uh, group of things, which is that you start with 10 forces on the board. You start on Arakeen, uh, which means you have 10 in your reserves. And you start with 10 spice. So you're not lacking anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. You have you have the solid start. You got everything you could ask for. You don't have any weird, crazy special considerations. You're just like, I'm here and I'm ready to play this game. Yeah. I don't have to freak out. And if anything, too, 10 on the board is, is very good. You start with a lot. You don't have to spend very much to really get the ball rolling in these right. early rounds, right? right? You, you you just start with playing on the board. Uh, Eric Keen is an interesting position to be on the board. Uh Carthag, I feel like, is a little bit better in terms of just like what you have access to. Maybe the that's distance. Wrong. Is... No, I agree. Yeah, the distance between Carthag from Carthag, you can use. So we should talk about ornithopters. Yeah, um, because yeah. you are kind of unique in that you have one of the spaces on the board that has ornithopters locked down. And what ornithopters mean is that you can travel three spaces when you move. Everyone right. else can only travel one. Right. Um, what's interesting about Carthag is that Carthag is less than or three spaces away from two of the other settlements that you need to take in order to right. win the game. Right. So Carthag is a better position, but it is cool that you have access to Ornithopters because the only two places you can get that is Carthag and Arakeen. And yeah, definitely. Uh, so I, I'm a big fan of the start, and it's kind of the first feather in the cap of the argument that you are kind of a maybe more aggressive faction a strike while the iron is hot i mean i for me personally i'm coming from the mentality that dune is a board game of opportunity over uh like long-term plans it's very hard to like really plot out multiple rounds or, mm -hmm. or have like a big growth in your faction it's kind of just more about like oh this is the round i gotta pull the trigger and do stuff here we go right um and so for atreides i think that moment happens early because you you already you basically already start in that moment you start with a good amount of stuff uh let's break down their leaders mm -hmm. you have uh a one a two a four a five and a five which ends up being essentially ranked the the third uh of of the leaders right they're they're, they're third best in terms of sheer value mm -hmm. 
of you know numerical what you can get out of battle from your leaders. So not bad, not not in a bad position at all. Benny Gesserit obviously being ahead of you, and then Fremen is your your next closest contender. Right, right. I will say this: um, I do kind of like the Harkonnen uh, leader spread a little bit better yeah. because they get a six. Right. Um, so like, yeah. This I would say this is a little more well rounded, right? Um, compared to some of the other factions, especially like Space and Guild. Yeah, the fact that you get two fives and a four, that's solid. My uh, my argument too in favor of Atreides, I love having two fives. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, incredibly powerful because the thing about a Harkonnen is someone has that six as their trader, right? Somebody yeah. somewhere has that six as your trader, but as Atreides, you always have the security of. I can use one of my fives, and I mean, it's just kind of a 50-50 shot if anybody ends up having it. It's it's obviously incredibly frustrating when you play Lady Jessica, and somebody had Lady Jessica, and you could have played your other five, and it's mm-hmm. like, ah, I did... Th- I could have just done the other one and been totally fine. But at the very least, when you play as Harkonnen or when you play as Fremen, you go into every fight going, I, I really hope they don't have Stilgar or, or Fade mm-hmm. Routh or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you know that someone's going to be trying to hold on to that super, super powerful right. one. Right. So I enjoy that slightly held back and two of the same number at the top. Um, that's, that's sort of like the whole power of Benny Gesserit is just like, yeah, it's five fives. Good luck predicting which one I'm bringing to this fight. You get, a, you get a little bit of that element, and I think that you can use that to your advantage. Right. I would say that because we have two fives, I'm not too scared of attacking really just any of the factions besides Harkonnen. Uh, so you also have uh, two free revival, which is another pretty decent thing, right? Y- mm-hmm. y- that's It's not three, but it's not one. So I feel pretty safe here as the Atreides. Um I, I just think, in general, everything that we're getting with Atreides is you start with some power right at the beginning. I mean, it's thematic. You know, you, you are <laughs> you're kind of just been designated in charge of this planet, and you are given the tools to do so. Mm-hmm. So we're here, and we are ready to uh, start striking, is my opinion. Um, right. You're, you're able to get out there and actually do stuff. And we're going to start going over their actual faction abilities, and I think most of these abilities even more reinforce the idea that Atreides is about hitting early and hitting hard and winning before, like, round five or six. Yeah. You're not you're not a late-game faction, is what yeah. you're saying, basically. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, I, yeah. I don't even know how I call any faction a late-game faction. I think every faction is just trying to achieve things. But obviously, things like Fremen and Spacing Guild obviously kind of have an incentive to to stall the game out, maybe. But even then, they're, they're looking for earlier wins if they can manage it. Uh, so... Uh, all that is to say, let's keep looking at, at these specific abilities and how they maybe further apply to this idea uh, that aggression is good. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of their all their abilities fall under this idea of limited prescience, right? We get to barely kind of see the future. Yeah, we're psychic. Uh, we're psychic. And we get, we get that in three different ways. Uh, and all three of these different ways really factor into very different things. Uh, the first one, and the first one that will come up, is the bidding prescience, right? You get to see every card that is being bid on. You are the only player at the table that actually knows what it is you are uh, looking, what what you're bidding on when you try to get a treachery card. Right, right. Uh, And not only that, but one of your abilities as Atreides is keeping a record of this information. And you 100% should, and that is your superpower. That That is like 
everything to you. Keeping that information sacred is very important because it is where all of your power comes from. I want to stress that like my favorite Dune rules are basically the ones that have to do with the transfer of information and how that is supposed to work. Yeah. Um, and in the TTS community, a lot of those information rules can't really be respected, which is lame. Um, but when you're playing Dune in real life, it is literally meant to be that no one can write anything down except for Atreides. And Atreides is encouraged to have a little notebook where you are jotting down all of the information so that if you're doing your job correctly, you basically know what cards every faction has bought with some exceptions being right. mostly Harkonnen. <laughs> right. Yeah, and 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 this whole thing means that you get to do a lot with that information. You are the controller of information. Nobody finds anything out unless it's in battle specifically or through you, which right. means there's an opportunity there for you to make some money. And it's kind of your only opportunity to make money, honestly. Now, I think some people harp on this uh, too much. I think some people are like, yeah, 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 Trades should be selling information and stuff like that all the time. I think that is way easier said than done. Yeah. So I'm not going to sit here and, and like, go crazy on the idea that you are always trying to sell information. I think if you have the kind of table that loves to play Dune that way and is, and is very open to accepting money that way, yeah, you should always push for it. You should always be asking if people want to buy information. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't sit there and hold up the game at all thinking anybody's going to definitely pay for information. What is the rules limitation that makes that so difficult? Because I you put it really good yeah. when you're putting the episode together. So the whole idea is... At, at, at a Dune table, you are required to have all discussion be public information. Yeah. The whole advantage of having an alliance is now the alliance is allowed to keep secrets. You can go into the other room and have a, a little mini conversation, or you can text each other under the table. This is another one of those goofy meta rules Hunter was Which just talking about. Which is like about. our favorite stuff. That's like, like all of the, come on, all my jam. That's what we love. <laughs> so, so these little secret conversations can happen, but that means that all the other stuff that is talked about, you can't go have a secret conversation with someone that you aren't in an alliance with. Mm -hmm. So your ability to sell information, you are incapable of selling information to just one person right because you have to say it out loud to the group uh that and and that's where the whole thing kind of breaks down so let's say i want to sell information about a card to the harkonnen well i can't sell it to the harkonnen harkonnen can be the one who pays for it but everybody's going to hear the information which means why would harkonnen pay very much for something that everyone will now get to benefit from mm -hmm. um i think the only two factions you're going to see any money from used this way are the emperor and the spacing guild because they'll sometimes feel like they've got money burning a hole in their pocket and they'll right. be looking for new ways to find advantages right but fremen benny jesuit and harkonnen don't have the money to be throwing it away on that kind of stuff they are really focused on like ah, i gotta get my units down or i gotta get cards or, or whatever you know that their economies are too tight to just start like oh yeah i'll give you three spice for just a little bit of information uh so i i think trying to bribe this information is is really difficult but can i, can you I make have a, can, yeah go ahead before we move forward i just want to try and make a case for it um which is that i feel like if you're watching the way the bidding phase is playing out in that let's say like the emperor well their hand is full the spacing guild their hand is full uh if we get to the point where it's kind of just the poor people at the table i do feel like you have a better chance of actually making use of that idea because you could say, hey, um, if somebody will give me 
a spice, I'll just say publicly what this is. And there's so few of you out there that could even bid on it that perhaps yeah. it is a case where basically, let's say Fremen is the only one left and they're the only one with spice, which is not normally how it plays out, but whatever. Let's right. just say that happens. Um, and then they they want to buy a card, but they're one of the poor factions. They don't want to buy too many cards. So they really just need you to tell them should I what buy this or not? Right. Yeah. Right. So situations like that can happen. I just want to. I just want to make. I don't want to make it sound like there's no yeah. potential in this idea, but I think it does require you to pay a lot of attention to everybody else's economy. Right. How many cards they have? Are they full up? Are Are they at a point where they just can't bid anymore because they've spent most of their money? That kind of stuff. If you right. take some of those variables out, it does start to make a little sense to me. Yeah. My my feeling with bidding though is that it is it's kind of regimented a little bit and it's pretty common like what something is going to cost and especially in those first two rounds of bidding the idea that someone's going to come to you and be like is this one worth buying? Like the answer if you're if you're a good little Atreides and you want to be kind of deceptive the answer is always like oh yeah sure I don't know maybe yeah. maybe it's worth buying. Right. And for them to pay you for it you might still even lie, right? I mean, I exactly. don't know what you want, or even more so, I don't know what you want. So the only information I can actually give you is exactly what the card is, and who wants to pay to see that well, given out? Except for, like you're kind of saying, yes. later on, circumstances become way more specific. There's conditions that are being met that make it, you can actually use information in, in exactly. more strategic ways. A, a, a condition where the fact that it's public is not that big of a deal because yeah. not that many players actually have a shot at the card. Right. They don't have, they don't have a stake in, in what's being discussed. Yes, so they're, yes. they, they don't care. Um, so the other thing, though, is there's a timing opportunity for when this information is important. So you're not really bribing people during the bidding phase of like, hey, is this one worth buying? I'm thinking about buying it for three, but now I have to also pay you two to buy it. Pe people just are going to shy away from doing that. But when you can get people to buy information is, hey, I'm about to attack Harkonnen. Yeah. Can you tell me about any cards that I should be aware of to help me in that combat? Do exactly. they have a snooper? Do they have a shield? You know, whatever they've got, that kind of stuff might be important for me to know. And that's when you might be able to get people to pay for information. Right. Especially if they've already started to launch the attack and you can say, hey, buddy, I know what's in their hand and I think it might be useful to you. Now, the big thing for me would be I wouldn't try to trick people with this ability. Uh, because if you try to trick people with this ability, you'll get paid one time and then never again yep, by the rest yep. of the table ever. So if you're going to sell information, you should be upfront about it. You got to be honest because that's the only way that information remains important and relevant and, and useful to them. If, right. if you're trying to be a shifty eyed Atreides, no one's ever going to pay you for anything because why would they? It's a 25% chance you'll give them the right information anyways. Right. So so find a way to set the expectation that if you give away information, it is true and correct and you're, you've got their back. Yeah. Um, so all of that is to say then Atreides has to kind of, you got to work the table a lot. You got to really kind of be talking a lot and figuring out what people want to do and, and what might be useful to them and what you know they're trying to avoid. And you need to have good notes because knowing what other people have means you can know when it's important for someone to know that the other player has a snooper or something. You know, if, if mm -hmm. you know someone's going into a fight and they have two weapons and the other person only has one defense, they might pay a lot to know exactly what that defense is. Right. And you can leverage that in, in really specific attacks. Oh, I love that. Like, be, so you're looking at your notes and seeing like, oh, if I help this person right now, it's really going to make a difference. But because of the good notes that you've taken, you can see like, 
they really want this information from me. Maybe they don't even know that they want it, but right. there is a weakness here that they can exploit yeah. if they would just pay me. That's yeah. that. I did not think of it like that. But if you're really mapping it out, you can see your opportunities almost even ahead yes. of time. Like, hey, yeah. if so and so attacks so and so, that's going to be a time for me to try and intervene. And and not even just leaving it up to them, but also getting in there and saying, yes, I see you have two options of people to attack. I can tell you which one of those you have a better shot at and what cards to play. Like, I can give you all the information you need to know to know what your, you know, what your best route is going to be. Right, um, right. But again, it requires that note-taking aspect to be followed. You've got to take those notes. I've had plenty of games where I thought I was taking good notes, and then I realized I didn't keep track of someone who discarded a card or something like that, and then I lose track of everything. And when I'm playing blind as Atreides, I feel like I have no abilities. It just yeah. feels like a completely different faction. Um, so, yeah, that 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 keeping track of everything and knowing where each card went during the bidding phase and who has what is is absolutely critical and this is also all what makes harkonnen your nemesis i mean the fact that they constantly have basically 50 percent of their cards or more are a mystery to you they start with two and every time they buy one they get another one so if if in the first bidding phase harkonnen only buys one card they have one card out of four that you know anything about, right. which makes them a terrifying prospect to do any early aggression into. Mm-hmm. They've got three big, scary question marks. Yeah. Uh, so so be aware of that and treat your relationship with Harkonnen thusly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, be, be aware of that issue. And and I, I do think Harkonnen is your number one to be feared faction. Of course, it's designed to be that way. They're the, they're the thorn in, in your side and your abilities just don't work as well against them. Yeah. Uh, do we want to move on to the next ability? Yeah. Sp- so the next prescience is in the spice deck. Uh, you do it during movement, uh, but you get to look at whatever the next spice blow is going to be, which also mm-hmm. means you get to see if a shy holot is. You you get to look at one of the next cards if you're playing in advanced rules, which we're kind of bringing this all in from the advanced rules perspective. Um, but in advanced rules, there's going to be like two decks. You're really only going to know which one of them is getting a spice blow, uh, or if it's getting a worm. But this information is not as big of a deal to me. Uh, I still write it down every round. I make a point to, to make sure I know it. But I have rarely found it to be like, oh my gosh, what an amazing piece of information I now have to leverage. Let me use this in an amazing, uh, inventive way. It's right. not very often that you're prepping for a future spice blow with your position. You know, I'm not sending my my units out into a kind of sort of dangerous territory just so that next round they can jump on spice. Uh, maybe some people play Dune that way, but for me, I, I tend to play closer to the vest, keep all the units in one or two spots, and then make them strike out when it really matters. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't see specifically knowing where next round spice is going to be as like crazy powerful. It obviously has some uses, uh, if anything, it is more useful because you can sell that information. Right. Uh, it's it's not useful for you, but for other players that might be looking for those territory advantages, especially I'm thinking someone like Fremen, who's kind of just like always running all over the desert. If you can sell spice information to the Fremen so that they know where to gear their forces towards so that they can make some money back, that might pay off you know if, if you know that they can earn eight somewhere else they might be willing to give you two spice for that information to right. start pointing right. their units in that direction but so i think i, s- I like this is another better. 
is another example where you have to be pro- proactive about making the money. You yes. see, you have to see, hey, I can see the future and who's it going to help? Oh, it's going to help this person. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like sometimes I feel like the way an Atreides player will, they'll be a little too open-ended about it. Almost yeah. like in a Twilight Imperium style of just like, who wants to deal with me? And it's like, no, you kind of need to go to the person that needs your help and yep. let them know that if you help them, it's going to make them money. And that's very yeah. good. Yeah, and and even just from a, a standard deal making kind of theory, like you need to come to them with a price in mind. Like give them give them the option right away because it's it's that flaky stuff that just makes people not even want to work with you. So if you if you come to the table and you're just like, hey, I know where the spice blow is. Anybody want to pay for that information? Nobody will ever take you up on it. Right. But if you single one person out and you say, hey, I know that the next spice blow might be relevant to you. If you want to know more to spice and the information is yours right that intrigues them way way more than than the other version of that right so so be selective and be specific and you might actually be able to make some money uh the other way that this uh spice deck prescience is useful um and it's it's a limited use but it's knowing that that shy halud is going to come up uh knowing that the worm is going to drop somewhere has basically two uses one you know that if a previous spice blow is now dangerous to hang out on um, that can be very, very situationally useful. Uh, but the other thing is, I think there is a little bit of value in knowing that the opportunity to change alliances is coming up. Right. Um, obviously, you've got to all go through a movement phase still, and lots of things can happen through that movement and battle phase. But if you know no one's going to win this round, but the alliances can get shaken up at the beginning of next round, you can completely change your path of what you decide to move and what you decide to do based on that information. You can decide, you know what? I don't need to make any crazy moves because next round I get to pick a new ally. And if I look and see that so-and-so is doing better, I'll I'll latch onto that instead. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the kind of thing, too, for me, I don't like to sell that information i i if i see that come up i just keep it to myself and i don't tell anybody else that alliances are coming up unless there's a really important alliance worth letting them know it's going to be broken right Right. if if one player has completely gotten dunked on and their ally is is already looking for a new ally they may pay for the information to see that new allies are coming up if it impacts what they need to do within that round but again that's crazy circumstantial. That's really hard to read, and it's really hard to convince someone to buy that information. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't push too hard for that just because it's so many meta elements added on to each other that it, it feels a little bit too uh, bold. Yeah. I do feel like maybe that's something you could throw at the Emperor of the Spacing Guild every once in a while and just be like, do you want to know if Shai Halud is coming up or not? Uh, and maybe get a spice out of that. Or, so. or are they just like, nah? Most of the time. I feel like they're just, I mean, every game I've played in, those two immediately want to be allies and they stick with each other through thick and thin. Oh, it, right. I don't think that's true in every game, but I've seen that multiple times now. The two of them just love making lots and lots of money and keeping everybody else poor. So if that's the relationship that's happening, I don't think you're going to waver that. I don't think you're going to change anything. Yeah. Now, if they're on if they're on thin ice with each other, yeah, maybe you could sneak in there. But uh, I, I think generally speaking... The main thing with Shai Halud is it comes up when it comes up, and that's when people actually decide to care about if they're going to change their alliances. Very rarely do people plan to change up their alliance. Mm-hmm. So it's just hard. It's it's hard to predict if that is on their mind. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so what else we got? We got, I mean, we can see the future. Um, <laughs> what, what other futures can we see? So we got Battle Prescience, and this is... 
maybe the the biggest deal if anything it's it's where all of these abilities come to a head and where where they gain their actual power the reason that bidding prescience is useful is because of battle prescience right the, the knowing what all the cards are is important because now in the battle we get to look at the other we get to look at one aspect of another player's plan mm-hmm. and so we can look at their leader we can look at the number they've dialed or we can look at their attack or defense card right and that those weapon or defense cards are where the crux of our power comes into play because mm-hmm. if we know that they have certain cards we can use that information to either you know if we have if we know they have two weapons we can ask them which weapon are you going to play if we know they only have one weapon we don't have to ask about that and it exactly. checks a thing off of our list mm-hmm. of getting other kind of information and the whole idea being we get to go into a battle with almost perfect information and make a judgment call on what what attacks we actually do everybody else is kind of i hope this battle works but atreides goes into every battle being kind of like this one's this one i'm gonna win oh they attacked me i'm gonna lose this one and i know that i'm gonna lose it you you very rarely have a big question mark on your battles uh, Mm -hmm. because of all of your battle prescience um the other thing here though is it is obviously better early uh it's better early because the fewer cards everybody has the more predictable their maneuvers become and the more you know predicting one of their things or asking one of their bits of information helps you Mm -hmm. uh because if if like i said if if you know they only have two defense cards and that's their whole hand and you ask them which one you're going to play you now have basically all the information in the thing or if you know they only have one card and you know it's not useful and you want to ask what number they're dialing like you can make this a perfect fight so as people gain more and more cards there become more of these kind of logical workarounds where you're like oh i know that they're going to play this and i know they're going to play that because it's obvious what they're going to play i don't even need to ask uh and also just like when they have more cards they have more things to stop your cards and it all just kind of falls apart late game atreides always feels like well i'm screwed or oh yep i've definitely definitely got it but those early game ones that is when you can take chances and that's when you can capitalize on chances in those like first two or three rounds yeah you said something interesting about um when we were building this you were talking about uh asking about leaders versus asking about how many uh troops they're bringing into the fight yeah I, I, so I think you ask for weapons and defense first. Yeah. If, but if that's, you see the logical breakdown. Exactly. And, then, and then if you've ruled that out and you know you're not asking about those exactly. two cards, there are two circumstances when you would ask for one over the other, I feel like. Um, the big thing being, it, it comes down to how many units they've sent into this attack or they're defending with that attack, right? Mm-hmm. A big stack of units means there's a huge amount of variance in what number they could be dialing. Are they pushing to hold lots and lots of units on the board by the end of this fight, so they're only going to dial, like, two? Or did they attack with 15 units, and they're going to attack, they're going to they're actually hit with 14 of those, and they only care about keeping one person there? Uh, sometimes this information is obvious. If it's, like, for the win, they're probably sending everything they got at you. Right. You don't need to ask about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But generally speaking, a big stack, you should probably ask what's on the dial. If you've ruled out all the cards, because there's just so much variance there that that's the only thing worth dialing in on. Exactly. And that's going to that's also going to have the bigger impact in the raw numbers game that you're playing, whether they play the four versus their six leader 
hardly matters when they could do two or 12 units. Mm-hmm. So you, you have to look at it you know, from that standpoint. So if they're only attacking you, if it's a little scuffle over some spice and you're both fighting with three units, it's kind of the opposite is true, right? Now, I don't really care how many units they're sending in because it's a difference of two or three. And if I know my leader is better, all I need to know is what leader is they're doing. Yeah. Uh, if I've got all the action cards or the treachery cards worked out. So yeah, for, for small little scuffles, I prefer to look at leaders and for big, big battles, I prefer to look at numbers dialed. Obviously there's circumstances that can change that, but that's kind of the general rule of thumb I look at. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, I, I I like that a lot. I, I really like the whole idea of like House Atreides is like, uh, I don't know, you're like a detective and battle prescience is there to fill in the gaps basically. Yeah. Um, the stuff you don't already know. Hopefully you're coming in with so much information that you're just getting something extra on top of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the other thing that kind of ties in with Battle Prescience is their Karama ability. Uh, Karama abilities are super confusing, especially early on, because most of them aren't actually like printed where it's easy to gain the information. You, When you have a Karama card, you can do any of the abilities printed on it, or you can do your faction-specific Karama ability, and then I always forget what they are, and I have to refer to the rulebook, and it's really annoying. Uh, Atreides is that instead of just one aspect of the battle plan, you can look at all of the battle plan. Mm-hmm. And that's cool. That's fun. It could be helpful in, like, the game deciding battle yeah or like but, the late game you know just right. like if it's just like we've gotten completely yourself. off track yeah 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 if we've if we've really gotten the, in the dumpster this yeah. game it's harkening and we don't know any of their cards basically yeah. yeah yeah so now karama could be useful but i think hunter and i both agree that the karama is actually probably better uh early to just buy yourself a free treachery card mm-hmm um that feels like a big part of the plan that we're setting up with atreides which we'll talk more about later but getting early treachery cards is a big deal so if we can fill out our hand really fast with good cards and make one of those free when we're struggling for money that that checks a lot of boxes that fixes a lot of problems that Mm -hmm. we as a faction suffer from yeah I completely agree. We are, I mean, I would say we're like middling when it comes to money or maybe that's not even fair to say because I kind of feel like the way Dune works out is we've got four poor factions and then two rich and that's pretty much it. It's just basically that. Yeah. And we're definitely- But even even within that, I I would say we are fourth. Okay. uh, Because because Fremen can get a bunch of stuff for free. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if anything too- Benny Jesuit can get stuff for free because they've got all these kind of pseudo extra Karama cards. Right, We're like fourth true. or fifth in terms of economy. God, Harkonnen yeah, is the right. only one with like worse access to money than mm-hmm. us, guaranteed. Yeah. Um, Benny Jesuit can struggle to get spice, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I actually don't really feel confident saying very much about Benny Jesuit at all, to be yeah, honest. Because I agree. We have not played advanced rules with Benny Jesuit doing especially crazy well yet right so i don't I, I don't know i don't know their whole deal i won't right. speak on that yet I, I did it and i was awful um tell <laughs> me so this i haven't even seen used yet in the game actually uh yeah. tell me about the uh quitsat hatterack the quizats hatterack is it's fine i i hate that everybody else in the advanced rules almost every other faction feels like oh man they really came online now all these things are crazy atreides in the base game just already feels like i've got all the tools yeah it's cool and then the advanced rules you get this other little thing mm-hmm. that's that's more or less my take on the quizzes hatterack um the quizzes hatterack is a plus 
two that you can apply to your leaders or hero cards, which is a cool little thing. You can mm-hmm. get a, you can actually gain a plus two bonus off of just a hero card. Right. Um, but it's just plus two, and and not that many battles are decided by two. I mean, plenty mm-hmm. are. Don't get me wrong, but it's not all the time that a battle is decided by just two. Right. Uh, and and there's plenty of ways to counteract this ability. Right. If if you have to apply it to a leader. And if the leader gets killed, you've lost the ability anyways. You haven't yeah. literally lost it, but you've lost access to d- gaining the plus two in this combat. Mm-hmm. So it's a weird ability to use, uh, but it does have its uses, and it at least keeps you going in the mid-game. Uh, if you've pushed hard early and maybe it didn't 100% work out for you, this is a little bit of your fail-safe. This is how you keep alive mm-hmm. in round four and five. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what's nice about it. Um, you have to have lost seven units before it's even available to you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a weird caveat to the ability, and my my first inclination is to say, okay, we need to we need to like strike hard, lose seven units, and get this ability right away. But the more I've played and thought about it, I actually pull away from that idea a little bit because uh, the plus two isn't that huge of a deal, and losing seven units when we only have two free revivals per round and Mm -hmm. not a lot of money means Mm -hmm. those seven units can actually be kind of difficult to get back on the board. So in most cases, I would probably actually rather have the seven units. But what is nice about it is we have all these other excuses to strike early and strike hard that it's just nice to have this in our back pocket. That's my relationship with the Kwisa Tatarak. Right. It makes makes your early game scuffles over Spice a little bit of a safer bet. Yeah. There's something I'm going to get out of this, even if it goes poorly. Like, yes, let's, right. Yeah. So I'm scuffling over spice, but, you know, maybe they, maybe I don't even get the spice. I lose them. But then that was the guy that gave me the yep. Quetzat Hatterack. Right. The Quetzat yeah. so, Hatterack. The Quetzat Hatterack. Uh, so my, my goal, not goal, but, but I usually it, intend to have it by about round three. Maybe end of round three, I've unlocked it, right? If, if I, if I, get a couple of lucky spice blows and I can jump out there and I have to lose a couple units per battle. That's fine. And by round three, I probably should have the Kwisatz Haderach unlocked. That's my guiding principle with how aggressive I should be as Atreides. I have a question about how the ability works. Do you have to have lost seven at once or no. just over the course? Okay, so you could so lose like two around. Yeah, you have, you, you have a little token you keep track of and you move it along the board. Every time you lose a, a unit, you move it back one. If you revive that unit in the next round, you don't move your marker back down. It's awesome. just like once seven people have died, I am now. I now have the Quisa Tatarak. I like that. So it's kind of encouraging you to have to, to have little fights over things. Yeah, to like absolutely. swing a little, not swing like crazy. We're not right. trying to lose all seven in one go. No, absolutely but not. Maybe we we try for this spice out here that we can get to with our ornithopters, and we send a couple, and we see if we get some. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, that is absolutely how I feel as a tradies in the first two rounds. I'm not trying. I, I would like to set up a situation where I could win, but more importantly, I'm just trying to set up a situation where. I'm trying to build to get all of my units on the board mm-hmm. here in the next few rounds and get right. get enough money to keep me afloat. If I could maintain roughly 10 spice, 5 to 10 spice per round, I feel okay as Atreides. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to do is just get get the spice where it matters. I don't I know I'm not going to make a bake roll or anything. I just want to keep myself afloat until I get the right alliance or I get the right setup where I can jump on other uh, you know, territories that matter. 
cool, cool, cool. Well, so do we want to start talking about this? Is I think this is the section of the game where we're going to kind of like we're going to talk about the early game. We're going to talk about the mid game. We're going to talk about yeah. the late game. This is going to be the theory crafty all over the uh, place right. part. But we're going to talk about alliances now. What is our alliance ability? What are we doing that helps other players? Yeah. So the Atreides alliance ability is to let them use your battle prescience. So specifically the one where they can ask their opponent to reveal one part of their plan, uh, which is the best one. And more importantly, it's great that they have you there to do it because you can help tell you can tell them what cards they're up against so that they know what to ask for. Right. Um, Right. It's. Yes, they only gain the battle presence, but that's not really all they gain because they are now ally with the information keeper. Yes. Um, So they have technically access to all of that information. However, as the Atreides, I don't think you should be incredibly forthcoming with all Mm -hmm. of that information with Mm -hmm. your ally because this is Dune and you can get backstabbed at any time. Another Shai Halud can come up and completely destroy all of your plans and your uh, ally might abandon you. So I'm not one of these players that is suddenly like, all right, let me reveal all of my cards to you and let me Mm -hmm. show you all of my notes so that you can see everything that everybody has already gotten so that you can put that in your memory bank and use it because I don't, I don't need you to have that because you very easily like in two rounds could use that against me. Right. Right. So is it maybe like a policy of I'm going to, if you're my ally and I'm Atreides, I'm going to tell you things you need to know that would be good for you, but you yeah. don't get to know just random information about other players for no exactly. reason, basically. Yeah. Everybody else has to pay when the information is important. My mm-hmm. ally doesn't need to pay when the information is important. Right. But they don't just get the information when it's not important. I like that policy. I think that's really solid. Um, uh, if you play with people, too, that, like, really stand off against this idea and are like, hey, we're supposed to be in lockstep. We're allies. Uh, I just don't. They're they're A, they're not being entirely honest because that's just not how Dune actually works. Right. Uh, and B, they're trying to metagame you because they want the information pretty yeah. badly. And I yeah. just don't think you need to fold on it. I think you can be honest with them and be like, listen, I, I want to win with you right now and I'll do everything we can except for sacrifice the sh- shot I have if you don't if you stop being my ally. Right. Right. Cause you're like your ability. I mean, battle prescience is cool. I'm not trying to down talk it, but I actually kind of like the information stuff a little more personally. It's juicier on a meta level. Absolutely. So if you give up that information, what do I need you for anymore? You know what I mean? Exactly. I already got the info. I could just, yeah, I can switch to the spacing guild next round and possibly win the entire game. Exactly. Yeah. Atreides told me everything. Now we've got the money and power to do it. That's exactly your problem is if you give up the information now they don't need you and they will definitely go to someone with money. Yeah. Uh, th- those, those two, you listen, emperor or space and guild will absolutely be who they resort to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because you've given up your only resource and it, it was a temporary resource. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so do we want to start breaking down uh, each faction as far yeah. as like wh- how we feel about you allying with them? Are they, are they a good partner? Are they a bad right. partner? Does yeah, it make sense? We didn't want to like, rank the allies we don't want uh-huh. to say there's a best ally for no. for atreides because it's it's so circumstantial it depends right. on the board state it depends on what round you're in there's just too many things that can come up that and you just get stuck that. with people sometimes sometimes yeah, it's just totally. like everybody else allied and i mean i'm not going to just try and do this by myself so i guess yeah. me and you should try i right. mean I, I don't even know if that's really the most solid logic i wonder if it does make sense in certain circumstances to be like i'm just going to not ally but i doubt it I do I doubt don't, it. I, I think some factions can get away with that. I don't think Atreides is one of those. Yeah. 
I think uh, I think Fremen Spacing Guild Emperor can get away with just like you know what I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna try it for myself I'm gonna see right. where I get but I don't I, Atreides doesn't start with the ability to just like it's just the money thing more than anything mm-hmm. it's it's getting units actually on the board can be kind of difficult for Atreides and it doesn't matter how many cards you have if everybody outnumbers you on the board and you can't afford to reinforce mm-hmm. you're gonna fall away. Yeah. So yeah, let's break down just if you do end up in an alliance with someone, what it what does that mean for your game? What does yeah. that change about your win state? Uh, let's start with the kind of most basic one, which to me is Benny Jesuit. Yeah. Because you two kind of do the same thing. It's obviously not exactly the same, but you're right. both kind of utilizing information in an interesting way. The first game I ever played of Dune, I did a Benny Jesuit Atreides Alliance, and I thought it would be really cool, and we ended up just like never needing to do it like it was like that's too much information to gain right right right? i can i can ask for one thing and dictate you do another thing and it was like okay that's cool but neither of us can afford anything so actually this is useless because we have no units on the table Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh so i i think this isn't one you're really even looking for yeah yeah i i feel like you're kind of plugging the same hole basically it's just kind of like Oh well, well, we're trying to win battles through information, and Benny Jesuit is like, yeah, I can just order them. If you tell me what they've got, I can just order them to play it. Which that's cool. I mean, that there's not nothing to that. Right. It just feels a little like I wouldn't want to get stuck with it. I would want to have somebody that's actually going to be able to help me accomplish right. some other goals besides just winning fights through information. Yeah, but let's talk about maybe some of the advantages that Benny Jesuit, sure. being your ally, has. First off. Well, we've talked about this whole card economy thing, and the Bene Gesserit's ability is to use Karama, use worthless cards as though they are Karama cards, which they right. can, in turn, basically use to buy free cards. Mm-hmm. So you can, with a Bene Gesserit ally, the two of you really get a lockdown on all of the like the best cards. You you can find ways to accomplish. Oh, quite that's a, lot. a great idea. If you get really strategic with it, if you make a point to like, okay, Bene Gesserit, a worthless card is coming up. You're gonna want to buy that. And then later on down the road, oh, this this actually good card came out. Now it's time to, you know, make and and you can be like really open with the table too, and like just announce, oh, it's a worthless card, and Benny Jesuit might get it for one dollar, right? Uh, because nobody else cares to. Yeah, to you're really it. gonna outbid. It, you could even psych them out and get people to pay real money for worthless cards, right. literally. Yeah, yeah. So. So I think there's there's an advantage to you two being an active force in the bidding phase, uh, but it still just becomes very difficult to turn that around into a board presence thing. Yeah. Now, I'm going to speak a little bit out of turn here because, again, I don't have my head fully wrapped around the power of advisors yet mm-hmm. uh, and, like, really what the best Benny Gesserit strategies are there. So I'm going to go ahead and say that this this overview is is going to be weak on that standpoint and if anything this is our perfect time to plug like hey send us your thoughts uh we yeah. always try to do errata on these episodes and we want to hear from you what you think uh is is something we're missing out on some strategy we're not thinking about enough right and so i, I want to hear more about maybe what atreides relationship with advisors looks like and if there's any like really discernible benefit to mm-hmm. that the only thing i could think of is the ability of benny Jesuit to completely drop on Carthag and help you lock down both territories with Ornithopters. If you if you can have an advisor stack be building there and then turn it around on a dime and completely dunk on Carthag, that seems like the power of a Bene Gesserit relationship. Yeah. 
yeah. uh, a- or anywhere for that matter. I, I call out sure. Karthag specifically because it always feels like your weak point. It always feels like you're looking for an opportunity to jump on Karthag, and it, it's hard for it to come up. And Benny Gesserit could push that uh, for you. I mean, I've only had the one Benny Gesserit game, but I do feel like maybe that has some validity if but except for maybe i would throw in the caveat that it's more like you're just holding carthag accountable yeah like the idea like it takes so long to build up an advisor stack with benny jesuit yeah but if there is one there it means that depending on how how the turn order stuff works out i could for a lot of the game be just kind of like hey if you leave carthag we're doing this. You know right. what I mean? Like, right. And that maybe would make Harkonnen think twice about trying to make really aggressive moves, um, especially in like the mid-game. Early yeah. game, it's going to take so long to even get right. them all set and up And I guess but. that's kind of the argument then, is Benny Gesserit is more your late-game ally. It's sure. not, it's, you're not going to... If if a, if a Shai Hulud happens in round two, you're not looking to ally up with Benny Gesserit. The two mm-hmm. of you don't have anything to offer each other yet. But if it's round six... And you've been falling on some rough times, but you're still kind of, you've got Eric Keen locked down, but not much else. And Benny Gesserit has a stack somewhere, just some stack of advisors. They could be a great ally to to jump in with. Um, mm-hmm. But you got to look for those opportunities. So yeah, a very, very specific circumstantial ally. Yeah. Let's talk about Harkonnen. Yeah. Uh, because they're a super, super weird one. Um, I don't love it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but mostly because the two of you. Well, first off, I just hate the Harkonnen uh, alliance powers. I don't think it's very useful. Um, I don't even remember what it is. What is it? The you can the Harkonnen's trader cards can be used against your allies' opponents. Oh, so I see. You have access to five traders instead of one. Right, but you don't even necessarily is, get to know what they are. It's just yeah. That and if I'm the Harkonnen, I don't really want to tell you. Yeah. Uh, unless it like obviously is very specifically coming up. Unless so, it's like in, game winning, you know. Yeah, it's like exactly. the same. Yeah. So Harkonnen, I think in general, already just has difficulty getting allies because mm-hmm. their ability isn't useful. Um, but the advantage to being an ally with Harkonnen is it it cuts off your number one weakness which is that harkonnen has a bunch of cards you don't know they're the only one who actually gets to keep mysteries from you mm-hmm. uh, and so it's kind of a defensive play to be allied sure. up with harkonnen yeah, yeah. let's say space and guild and emperor have already allied up and either fremen and benny Gesserit don't want to do it or they're allying with each other Harkonnen's your last option that might not be all bad because now you've eliminated your number one weakness in the game right right and you have opened up the i like you've opened up that territorial advantage you two both yeah. have stacks sitting there on the kind of most important territories in the game you two holding those could give you the opportunity to then launch out at just one other territory a piece and you can keep your stuff on lockdown and and gain your your win that way um I see that even being useful early since you both start with stacks of 10. Like you really, really could make an early grab for something and have plenty of information and lots of traders ready to take out any attack. You don't need big stacks to win the fights because you have so many tools in your arsenal. Uh, so I'd be keeping an eye out for that. If, if, if Harkonnen has a good hand of traders and you get a good hand of cards really quickly, you could actually accomplish quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, what do you think... I mean, I hate to kind of bind you to this, uh, like, kind of blanket statement, but which which one do you think is worse, Benny Gesserit or Harkonnen? I, because I feel like I have a big blind spot with advisors, I say Harkonnen is probably worse. Yeah. 
purely because there is probably some some stuff you can do with Benny Gesserit right. that I just haven't fully thought through. Right. Uh, and and Harkonnen is such a specific thing where it just doesn't feel like you're getting a superpower out of the alliance like mm-hmm. so many other factions do it's such a nuanced approach of like oh yeah our, our terror you know our position could be decent and yes we could potentially do this but nothing is like oh yeah obviously you do this and then i do this and that's an that's just a crazy good power that we both do together right that doesn't exist with Be- uh, with with harkonnen and atreides yeah i agree i i kind of feel like i feel like both of them though just have this problem of like they're not really making you better at stuff. And you're not right. necessarily making them better at stuff. I think right. I think BG, Harkonnen, and Atreides all have better potential allies in kind of the richer uh richer factions. And then we'll we'll talk about Fremen when we get to it. Yeah. Um yeah. but yeah. Let's do you want to talk about the Emperor? Yeah. So let's talk about the Emperor. I mean, honestly, Emperor and Space and Guild more or less are gonna kind of function as the same thing. You yeah. wanna be their ally? Cause boy, money would be great. Mm-hmm. Oh, that'd be so super nice if we had some money. Uh Emperors is especially interesting just because the the it really comes down to a matter of perspective, honestly. Space and Guild can help you pay for treachery cards just as easily as Emperor can. Right. And vice versa on uh shipment. But the whole thing is from Emperor's perspective they tend to be more willing to help you pay for treachery cards than they are for units. This isn't going to be universally true, but it's something I've seen that just like emperors are thinking of that money more in the mm-hmm. bidding phase, and they know mm-hmm. they're going to make that money back in the rest of the bidding phase, so they're a little bit willing to be loose right. with it because right. they just they know somebody else is going to buy another card and they'll get that money right back. Um, so you you get more advantages on... Uh, treachery cards i'm especially interested in an emperor alliance first up this is probably my first pick if it's like a round two or three shy Halid, right if if we are jumping right into alliances at the beginning of the game the only thing i really need to accomplish is getting my treachery hand awesome mm-hmm. and and having the money ready to dump units on the table right uh so i i'm a big fan of asking for the emperor thing if it comes up very very early they also will help you recover your losses if you're trying to have a lot of little mm-hmm. skirmishes to get quits at hatterack um, absolutely because their alliance ability is that they can buy you three more right yep they can That's buy right. you three more units out of the tanks yeah so you could get a total of six out which means exactly like you're saying hunter you can you could go kind of crazy yeah. as an atreides with with an emperor alliance and like guarantee yourself a lot more spice if it means you can get more of your units back later there's obviously right. always a balance of like how much you how many units are you spending to get spice just to get that money back where you could have spent it elsewhere Chasing spice is a little weird, but even more importantly, though, making an attempt on an important territory, failing, but then being able to come back immediately next round has a lot of value. You can make a second attempt at the win. Oh, we didn't get it this round. We might get it next round, though. Emperor is the one you can actually accomplish that with. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, I do want to ask, do we want to try and clarify the rules confusion around the emperor's alliance ability yeah even though yeah, we, we might end up being wrong in the long run i don't think we are no but, we, but i think this is part of our duty yeah there is a, there's an official this. dune faq out there and the one question it didn't really specifically answer if i if i'm remembering correctly i have not seen a a clear-cut answer for this but there's some disparity on the emperor's different sheets and information about it where it says that you can share your great wealth but on two different components it is worded two different ways and 
In one spot it is you may share your great wealth with your allies as well as paying spice directly to the bank for the revival of up to three extra forces. But on other components, it says you may share your great wealth with your allies by spending spice or paying spice directly to the bank for the revival of up to three units. And those are two very different sentences because one of them says you can share your great wealth. You can give your ally money whenever you want. And the other says you can only do the thing where you pay for three extra forces. That is mm -hmm. how you share your great wealth. That is right. what it means to share your great wealth. Uh, so the whole reason this is important is if you are allowed as emperor to just give money anytime, during the bidding phase, what would happen is you could give all of your money to the person buying a card, and then that person would buy the card and use the money you just gave them to pay you that money. Right. Which means... Free card. No one could no free card. Free yeah. card and not only free card, but no way for anybody else to compete with you on that card because you've bid 18 spice or something ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um so that's broken. And that's why most people agree that, that it surely isn't meant to be that way. Right. And we're gonna we're gonna kind of take the stance and, and this is your PSA. It's probably not that. Yeah. Uh it is probably just that you get to revive three extra units. Uh, per round yeah good i'm glad we did that the, hey matt that's this is part of our job okay <laughs> important public service yeah um we ready to move on to talking about the spacing guild yeah spacing yeah. guild is is honestly just it feels like a little bit of a check below emperor because well maybe maybe it's just about it being a couple rounds later right we just mm -hmm. talked about emperor is good to do it right away because because you can recoup your losses really quickly. Yeah. Spacing Guild is more about, well, you're going to get units on the board way cheaper. If they die, you don't get them back any faster, but you can you can do that massive unit dump in round mm -hmm. four that you mm -hmm. need to pull off the win. I, I would say probably the Atreides and the Spacing Guild Alliance is your best bet at actually pulling off a victory. Right. Because of that cheap price to to ship the units, plus them having lots and lots of money. The two of you together can get lots of units on the board, get all over the place, win lots of battles where you've predicted lots of, not predicted cards, but, you know, prescient cards. Yeah. Like, you can win all the fights you want with a Spacing Guild as your ally. Now, you're not necessarily Spacing Guild's best ally, but they're definitely one of yours in terms of actually pulling off that final round to win the game. Well, I will uh, say this if for some reason, like, cause I, I have played a little spacing guild and I feel like if, if I can't get emperor, which I mean, I think, and I wonder how this is going to develop as we talk about this game, but it does feel like if I'm spacing guild, I want to be emperor's friend. If I'm emperor, I want to be spacing guild's yeah. friend. It just the idea of locking down all of the wealth and keeping yep. everybody poor. It's, it's a hard combination to beat. Um, now, uh, again, I'm saying this to invite Errata, so get at us sure. or whatever. Um, yeah. But I feel like when I when I played a Spacing Guild, I had this feeling of like, yeah, I can move around however I want. I'm not really very good at fighting. Like, I'm scared of fighting. Um, yeah, I, sure. I have I have a hand of cards, but I'm kind of scared of um, my leaders are not too good. Um, a lot of them are actually bad. Um, I don't have any, like, super high-value ones. Yeah. Um, and I have a lot of low value ones. So that all the kind of weird finickiness of that feels a little, I would, I, I feel like prescience would mean a lot to the spacing guild. Emperor has pretty solid leaders and is going to get their fill of treachery cards almost automatically. Yeah. Um, so I don't feel, I, I feel like they might value you a little less 
then you yeah. would value them. And I feel like Spacing Guild values you a little bit more. I don't know, though. I, yeah. this is. But I do agree that, at the very least, Atreides has a case to be made here of getting in there and be like, hey, I can. you're going to have plenty of units, and I can help you just turn the tides of those battles by helping you guarantee you know, some aspect of it. Right. Um, so I think there's a case to be made there, and I do think it's a great th- round three, four, five. You know, it's a good mid-game uh, person to ally up yes. with. Yes. Uh, because that's when you're going to make those big strikes of like, all right, let me dump 10 more units on the table right now uh, mm-hmm. to, to take Habanya Sietch or whatever it is. Probably not right. that, but you know what I mean. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I think the, the movement helps and all of that, uh, but I think the, the philosophy between the two of them is still more or less the same. Yeah. I would really take either. Whoever's willing oh, for sure. to ally with yeah. me, I'll, I'm jumping on it no matter what. Yeah, from the Atreides perspective, it's definitely like, which one said yes? We're going with that. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so last up is the Fremen, and the Fremen are a super, super weird ally. Uh, sometimes I love it, and sometimes I absolutely hate it and it totally depends on like what kind of game the fremen is trying to have uh this is sort of like our benny Gesserit argument which is just like i don't know depends on where they're actually at on the table mm-hmm. uh because the thing about being in an in an alliance with the fremen is it doesn't quite offer you that much power uh they they get to protect you from sandworms which can be useful if you're in that position right that's already circumstantial of yeah, like, yeah. have you been jumping out all over spice i don't know who knows and then the other ability is that they can uh, allow you to revive three for free per round well you're already at two so that's barely a gain at all that that doesn't really do much for you and then the last thing and this is kind of the most important aspect of why this is a weird relationship is if the fremen do their special victory you can win with them but you existing is kind of contrary to the Fremen special victory. So it means that you two aren't going to be trying to, if they're going for that, if they're pushing for their special victory, you're going to literally be standing in their way as mm-hmm. their ally mm-hmm. uh, for this. Let's, let's go over their special victory because it's, it's confusing. If no other faction has won by the end of the last turn, and if you or no one occupies Siechtaber and Habanya Siech, which those are the two uh, on the on the left side of the map, right? Our, our westernmost uh, territories. And neither Harkonnen, Atreides, nor Emperor occupies Tuix Siech. Your plans to alter Dune have succeeded and you and any allies win the game. Well, you're specifically called out for Tuix Siech and you or no one can be in the other two. So that's three territories you are not allowed to exist in right. to help them win the game. What are you doing for that alliance if not helping block people from taking territories, right? That's the right. entire point of having a stalled out victory is, hey, we kept everybody else from accomplishing things. But if you're not allowed to be in 2XCH, then you can't have that victory condition come up. Obviously, there are specific circumstances where like someone could be fighting you over it and you're like, okay, I'm going to sacrifice all my dudes to kill everybody there. I'm just nuking the place. Okay, that comes up and then you've you fulfilled the the, the, the goal. requirements, but that's so rare. I mean, that's that's not something you can really like lean on. Right. So, if you're restricted from being allowed to be in three of the important territories on the table, then wh- how are you two working together? So, no, it comes more about what Fremen's active presence on the board. Uh, that that's the only thing that matters. If if they, 
I had a game where uh, we had a Fremen that was starting slow. They were spread out. They were kind of keeping their options open, right? They just wanted to be able to at any time have about four units to go send at Spice, wherever it might pop up. And they were just playing the whole table because they knew at the end of the day they could they could rely on their endgame scenario and just see how it went. But throughout the course of the game, when, when we decided to be allies, this was a huge problem because Atreides, I'm looking for opportunities to strike and make things happen. And we basically had a situation where we could have won the game, except for Fremen didn't have enough units close enough to a territory where they could actually jump on it. They, they had like three in range and then like eight just barely out of range. So we missed like for two or three rounds, the two of us missed opportunities to maybe win because mm-hmm. they were just playing this other strategy. So that was a mistake on my part to ally with a Fremen who was in no position to be making the kind of targeted strikes I needed from an ally. But Fremen can play a totally different way. You can be playing with a Fremen who is all about big stacks dropping in in major zones and keeping control of that whole west side of the map. I've seen that happen as well. And that is a really great Fremen ally to have because it helps you only have to focus on one thing. This is the territorial advantage of a Fremen ally is Fremen locks down the west side of the map. They keep Habanya Siech and Siech Tabur all them. And then all you have to focus on is taking Carthag or finding a way to go take two Xeach. You only have to worry about one thing for the two of you to win the game. Right. And that is is very powerful, but it's sort of in a similar way as that like Harkonnen or Benny Gesserit thing of like, well, it just totally depends on where they're sitting. Right. Yeah, it's more of a positional, uh, positional circumstantial type of alliance, which you're not really going to be able to like foresee that automatically. Right. What right. do you, uh, so... I'm not sure though that I understand what what you feel like makes them possibly their best your your best. It does feel like depending on the situation they might be as good as anybody else, but what kind of makes them exceed that of just being uh, like a solid alliance option. The the reason they can be great is if they've been if they, let's say it's round 6 mm-hmm. and they have been spending all game just dumping people or maybe just like last round they dumped a bunch of people into like Habanya Erg, the great fl- the greater flat, you know, something near there. And they took CH Tabur and they took Habanya CH and they have 10 units on both. Yeah. And you know they've got their leaders, you know what their cards are. They're just sitting solid. There's no way they're gonna lose those two territories. And you're sitting comfortably enough on Arakeen if literally the only thing that you have to accomplish between the two of you is to take one other zone. That could be pretty easy yeah. <laughs> with, with, with just the territorial advantage that you have. That's what Fremen is all about, is territorial advantage. So that's what you're looking for, is when is that territorial advantage the most potent? Right, right. So it it's essentially just comes down to, like, at various points in the game, Fremen can kind of make a rush for two two areas that if they if they succeed, then all you have to do is lock down one more yep. for, for them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're looking for those opportunity strikes with Fremen. It's it's important to have access to opportunity strikes. But if you're playing with a Fremen who's just trying to stall out the table and keep everybody else off of that stuff, yeah. That's not the ally you need. That right. that's not going to help you accomplish anything because you you right. will be actively in their way of accomplishing those goals. Awesome. Um well, let's get into the more specific kind of nitty-gritty Twilight Imperium strategy guide style stuff. Yeah, Not that yeah. I can say guide strategy stuff. Uh-huh. Um <laughs> we been... we're going to talk a little bit about like round 1. Um and we're not going to get too specific here. This is more just about like taking your opening into consideration and like what do you do with that? What are right. some pitfalls basically? Um yeah. how 
what do we do with our start? What is what is our first bidding phase supposed right. to be like? Yeah. So like as we said at the beginning, you start with a lot. You start with ten spice in the bank. That's a that's the most you can have, uh, and you start with plenty of units on the board. Now by the end of the bidding phase, emperor is going to have all the money. Mm-hmm. But that's okay because what you should be doing in that first bidding phase is definitely buying attack and defense cards. Right. Because if you can get, let's say even two of those cards if you're lucky you started with one that would be mm-hmm. awesome you know mm-hmm. that that first card draw is is random who knows what you end up with but if you ended up the round one bidding phase with two attack cards and one defense you will be a force to be reckoned with you could go take pretty much any fight you want to take because almost nobody else is going to have very many cards to keep up with you excluding you know probably harkonnen um so from my perspective I want to spend most of my money in the bidding phase. Mm-hmm. I, I, ideally, I spend it to get two cards. I'm not looking to spend eight bucks on one card. If, right. if the bidding phase is getting that out of whack, I don't know what's going on. But if you can get like two cards for three or four spice, that feels okay. And I know it sets you up to not be able to drop very many units on the board, but we're not quite worried about that yet. Mm-hmm. If anything, the way I see the first round is there's two conditions. One... A spice blow landed near us, or two, there's no spice near us, and we don't have that to worry about. Right. If the spice blow is near us, we want to send a small fleet out to go get that spice. Small fleet? <laughs> a small fleet, a small legion, a small army, whatever it is, a small amount of units. A troop, a small, a, a, small, a, a band. Sure. We want to a... send a band of merry men <laughs> to check out the cool spice. Yeah, and, and you might get fought there, and that's okay. Maybe you lose a couple units, maybe you don't, but... That, that's a, a risk that's worth taking. Um, I'm looking to spend all of my money round one, mm-hmm. mostly on cards and a few extra units. Basically, you know, if, if I send four units out to Spice, uh, but I built three or two or whatever, that leaves me enough at Arakeen to probably defend it in these early rounds before mm-hmm. people are super willing to just drop everything in one spot. Right. Um, that That's kind of a rarity, I feel like. The Emperor is like round one, like, yeah, I'm going to take Arakeen right now. Here we go. Let's yeah, do that's, it. Yeah, that's a little too brash. Um, yeah. And also, I feel like we need the cards because we need to make sure that Hey, if you come at me, I know what I know some yeah. of what you have, and I have cards myself. So you can't just come. Right. Yeah, you can't just come use your best leader to try and defeat me right now. We're looking for defense and offense through cards first. We'll get the units later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, I I think you do get aggressive if the opportunities are there. If there's no spice near you and nobody else is making like crazy moves on territories that shake up the dynamic where it's like, oh, actually, this is a good time to strike here. Mm-hmm. Then you don't. You just add a couple of units to Arakeen and, and move on to round two. Don't worry about it. Right, right. Well, let's talk about uh, let's talk about some pitfalls. What's some stuff to look out for that is potentially dangerous when we're beginning um, when we're in that early game? Yeah. Atreides. Um, I think this applies especially to early game, but maybe all game. Uh, Harkonnen or the Emperor being after us in turn order is always scary. Mm-hmm. Um, Emperor probably more so because they're going to have enough money to, to kind of drop wherever they want and they don't start on the board. So it's kind of always a question mark of like, where does Emperor decide to go? Generally speaking, I still don't think they're going to come for you if you've been like actively defending. But just that idea that they could end up anywhere is always scary. Right. Uh, and Harkonnen is the same thing because you're always afraid to fight Harkonnen just because they have all these question marks in terms of what cards they have. And, mm-hmm. and you never really know if you can win a fight against Harkonnen. Right. So I hate going 
before them. Space and Guild is its own thing in the advanced game. They're pretty much always going to go after you. That's obviously also scary, but that's kind of also always true. So for me, I'm looking for rounds where I'm going after either one or even both of those factions. And that is now, ooh, I need to see if I can make some stuff happen this round. I need to right. see if this is, if this is this the round where I can pull off some major gains? Because if I'm in a position to do so, the timing of all of our turn order means I should go ahead and do that. Mm-hmm. It's also, I think, worth noting uh, with the early game that if there's a spice blow near you, it's also near Harkonnen. Yeah. Um, so if we're going, whoever essentially makes the first move, for that spice blow is going to get to see what the other person does and decide how many troops they want to now commit to right. it. Yeah. Um, so they get to kind of see a little more of the math before you do, which is which is scary. And I would say in that situation, if I got to move before Harkonnen and Harkonnen can get there too for the spice blow, I may be a little too scared to do it. I got to be honest. Yeah. Cause no, it's like, I, I, I agree. Yeah, he's he's got cards that I don't know about, and yeah, that, I don't know. That's going to be kind of rough. Well, and especially it's telling if they are that bold to challenge you on. If you know that they're going to, like, it, it's just scary to, to have that prospect, because if if they don't do the attack, then it sounds like, oh, they're not very confident in their cards, and they don't think they could send mm-hmm. enough. If they do the attack, you're probably already screwed. Your, your right. days are numbered. So going first and having to launch that attack is already a scary prospect. But if they instead launch the attack, and they send five units to the spice, that can maybe be a little bit telling about how confident they feel in their ability to stop you in the fight, yeah. and it can help you decide what you do with your units. Right. Um, and also, I just feel like this emphasizes how important it is to hit the ground running in that first bidding phase and not hold back. We want yeah. some cards because we are, I mean, in all likelihood, we are going to have a reason to risk a little bit um, in this early round against Harkonnen, and uh, we, yeah, we just need as many options as we have available to us. We're going to get to use Battle Prescience, obviously, against Harkonnen, yeah. so we can use that to kill Harkonnen's leader, uh, and then hopefully win the fight. But yeah. We, yeah, we have to be careful. The biggest thing too with these early gains that we're trying to make is okay. Not only are we taking advantage of the idea that we have more information about the cards, which means we can do more in battle. And so we want to strike early before everybody has four cards, right? That's when it that's when it sucks to be Atreides. Everybody's mm-hmm. got four cards, and you can look at any fight and go, well, I know how this is going to turn out based on all the cards. Like, my powers are, are now useless. But when people only have, like, one or two cards in their hand, your powers actually have some use. You can, you can right. do stuff with that. Um, and the, the other big reason you want to do this early is if that advantage is in your ability to kill leaders... That only improves all of your other powers, right? Mm-hmm. I, if I kill Baron uh, Harkonnen, if I kill the four of Harkonnen or, or the you know three or five of some other faction, if I kill their middling things early, it gives me more assurances later. Or yeah. if I kill Stilgar round one, <laughs> I don't have to worry about Stilgar all game. I've got the seven of Fremen out of the way. Right. That only makes my later attacks more powerful because I've taken powerful leaders off the table. Mm-hmm. So if you take these kind of bold maneuvers early with really good attack action cards, when you know your opponent doesn't have a defense against it, you can make your Kwisatz Haderach more powerful, right? The right. plus two out of your leader can boost you ahead of anybody else's leaders in that situation. You can make all of your mid-game attacks more powerful by just killing leaders. There's a little bit... I'm not saying go around and just hunt for killing leaders, 
But there is a little bit of that element to it of like, don't be afraid of the fights because if you kill a leader out of it, even if you lose the fight, you killed a leader, that's something you don't have to fight later mm -hmm. on down the road. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the more and more we talk about this, the more and more it sounds like that first round bidding phase is absolutely critical. Like we, ha like we have to make sure that we get some solid cards basically yeah absolutely yeah or or and even if you're not gonna if the if the cards don't come up right let's just say it's a really bad round of cards you're not spending that ten dollars on all units you're not putting the rest of your stuff on arakeen or spending a bunch of money to send units to somewhere else you're saving a lot of that money for next round's bidding phase mm -hmm. because you need to get the good cards if no good cards came out round one nobody has good cards you're fine it's not going to be a big deal and then all the cards will come out next round and you need to have the money to buy them right so it's it's yeah it's really important to be ready to get cards early mm -hmm. yeah yeah makes a lot of sense um all right is there anything we want to throw in here at the end? What what is our kind of summation of playing Atreides? How are how are we going to win? How are we going to close this deal? I I think the the big idea is our win condition is to to win early and before everybody has the tools to stop you mm -hmm. because people will gain the tools to stop you. This is this is different than like Emperor or Space and Guild where you can win a war of attrition. Yes, against against players oh, when you are that. one of those I factions. Love that. I love that point. You cannot win the War of Attrition mm -hmm. as Atreides. You just won't. You, you will get timed out. You will lose units. You won't be gaining them back quickly enough. People will be getting the cards that they need to deal with you, and your, your prescience won't matter anymore. So your victories mostly need to come early when all of your advantages are even still present. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or, or prescient. Your advantages are more prescient. <laughs> I mean, that's not a, the correct use of that word, but I still thought it it's was fun to fun. say. Still fun to say. All right, that was awesome. I that actually was... really loved talking about not Twilight Imperium for a minute. <laughs> um, even though I would, I would say at this point, what's interesting is I have like little bits of knowledge at, from certain seats, but I really don't know that much about Atreides at this point. So I, I yeah. was really like co-piloting here with you, but I really like what you've kind of spelled out thus far. And I do want to emphasize if anybody has is getting through this whole thing and being like, oh man, what they like, this isn't like yeah. everything I need to know. It's like, yeah, because we don't know everything yet. And this is definitely uh, like, let's get some errata. Let's get some thoughts. Um, so yeah, if you disagree with any of the things that we're saying, just as always, just honk at us from your car or whatever, <laughs> and we'll we'll take down your note and we'll talk about it. So while we're talking about that, let's let's do we we've got some long-standing errata from the last time we did a Dune episode, which was our learn to learn, mm -hmm. and we've really only got one big thing uh, that we we pretty much missed the boat on. I think we went into that one with a lot of things we were trying to 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 accomplish. And one of those things was like giving a super, super basic overview of how we felt about all the factions. And I think it was a little early for us to really be making any call on the factions. Mm -hmm. um, again, we were just talking about the basic game. We're not talking about advanced rules or anything like that. But uh, multiple people had comments on what we had to say about the Fremen. Yes. Which with Fremen, we tried to propose this thing of like be a tortoise, like don't drop people all. We I think we just seen too many games where they dropped all of their units on the board round one and then didn't do smart moves with them and mm -hmm. and never found their footing. And we saw that fail a couple times with newer players that we wanted to propose you being way slower, slower and wait out yeah. the table. Yeah, but we were we were missing the mark. Now we weren't wrong in the regards that Fremen probably does win later more often than not. 
But what we were we were very wrong about how they accomplished that goal. So here's yeah. here's something from Eric Twice. Uh, Eric Twice sent us this on Board Game Geek, and he said, "I agree that Fremen should be aggressive and not turtle." This is Eric agreeing with other posters. There were a few people that brought this up, and and they're all right. We're we're just using Eric's because it's concise. They need spice to buy cards and get all their troops for free with great leaders and a high revival rate. They are the best suited to playing strong from early on and denying other players spice. So the general idea with with what seems like is actually really good Fremen strategy, especially in the base game, is get out there and get spice and keep spice. Not only are you gaining spice to buy cards, you don't need to spend that spice on units because mm-hmm. you're getting them for free, mm-hmm. uh, but you're you're also denying other players getting that spice. Yes. It's not just about you getting all the cards you need. It's about keeping anybody else from acquiring new money because you can just get all over the map and get where you need to to block people. Yes. Um, so that war of attrition is kind of a big deal with the Fremen. Yeah, I think what what we kind of misread about them, and again, I think it was more where were we coming from is just a perspective of like, let's... Um, not encourage people to like swing big and make mistakes, yeah. but the idea of like, oh, you're kind of skirmishing. Like you're yeah. you you need to pick fights, but pick them smartly um, and not go overboard. Because what we're trying to do is win these little skirmishes so that the game keeps going and people don't build up too quickly or get too much money too quickly. Right. Um, and yeah, uh, I also feel like it does make sense that Fremen was the one that we got the most wrong about. Neither of us have played Fremen yet, as far as yeah, I know. You haven't true. played Fremen nope, yet. Yeah, I have not. Neither yep. of us have played Fremen yet, and um, we have only seen, I think, super new players play Fremen. Whereas, like, I haven't played, neither of us have played Emperor yet, but we have seen right. very experienced players play Emperor at this point. Right. So there right. are some factions that we haven't played that we've gotten good examples for. And I just think in our own personal, and I'm now like calling out everyone that's played Fremen with us at this point. <laughs> so you, they can all be very upset now, but I, I just haven't seen someone that's like, Oh, I'm super experienced with Fremen yeah. and this is what I do. Yeah. I mean, we've played a lot of learning games so far, so yes. I don't think any of those people would be offended to hear us say, hey, you were a new player. Yeah. They better not be. I'm pretty sure EJ <laughs> played them. So take that EJ. <laughs> And that's it. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for hanging out with us while we talked about Dune. Uh, if you want to hang out with us in person, oh, yeah. next week we're going to be at PAX Unplugged and we want to oh hang God. out. Uh, we want to. I don't know if we're like making a ton of time to like play a bunch of board games. I mean, that's the point of going to PAX. We should be making time to play mm-hmm. board games, but we just don't even know what to expect at all. But we definitely want to see people. We want to hang out. Uh, we're going to be dropping by the Twilight Imperium tournament that's happening there. I haven't even looked up to see if there's any Dune events, but I imagine if we find out about some Dune events, we'll go hang out over oh, there yeah. as well. If you know of anything, please hit us up on Twitter or whatever. Uh, but yeah, we're going to be at PAX Unplugged, and we want to see what's going on there. It's our first time ever going to PAX Unplugged. Yeah. So very, very, very excited. How about you do our rundown, Matt? Hey, why don't you rate us? on our podcast uh on whatever app you're using there is fine with me i I give you permission to rate us no matter which app you're using uh specifically though if you're using itunes that's pretty great and apple Podcasts helps a lot uh increases our ranking and increases our visibility which just gets more people seeing the show and gets more people playing dune and gets more people playing twilight imperium which is you know that's the end goal isn't it isn't it isn't it it is it is. It is. Uh, All right. So you can also follow us on Space Cats Pod on Twitter, uh, Space Cats Peace Turtles on Facebook. You can find our Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash Space Cats Peace Turtles. YouTube is also Space Cats Peace Turtles. Uh, Hunter's been getting active on uh, Twitch streams and getting stuff up on YouTube. What's on the docket? 
Um, so what I want to do is try and get some, uh, some more TI streaming content. Uh, I want to be releasing at least like one TI YouTube, uh, video a week that I'm going to get primarily from the streams. Um, I basically have had the craziest month ever and I wanted to stream a whole bunch last week and basically things just kept coming up, getting in my way. Um, but I would expect to see me streaming sometime this week playing, uh, Pokemon because me and Matt came up with a very weird rule set. Yeah. Basically we, we were like, Oh, I want to play Pokemon and I'm going to use this Nuzlocke rule set. It doesn't make very much sense. Um, in the new version of Pokemon, though. So instead, we came up with something ourselves that's really, really dumb that I'm excited <laughs> about um, that I'll probably be trying out soon. I also, for some reason, bought the game Disco Elysium the other day and was just like, I want to play this. I think people should watch me play this. So if you don't know anything about that game, check it out. It's pretty cool, yeah. um, and I'm excited to play that. And then, yeah, um, probably probably a twilight imperium stream this weekend i can't promise anything though because yeah. i have this freaking comedy or festival and yeah. then other yeah man what a this month what a, has been what a month insane. it's been like one of the <laughs> uh, busiest months of my life i will say if you're looking for dune uh video content it's something we are working on um one of our issues right now is we have found that tabletop simulator dune is not something we are particularly in love with um mm-hmm. uh, it just there are certain aspects that kind of get taken away from the game. Yeah, that so don't we are, translate we are, basically. It's yeah, not, it's not anybody's fault. It's not like no, they did something wrong. Absolutely it's just like not. there's just things about it. The information stuff, literally, yeah. it's like, well, that just has to go away because yeah, if we're all at computers, it there's doesn't no make way any to sense. control it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, for us, we're looking at more ways to get in real life streams for Dune going, but that's mm-hmm. just going to take a little bit more work. We've got some gear to get and, and ways to actually set that up so that it, mm-hmm. it works. Um, but it is a goal of ours, so please stick stick around, stay tuned, and keep an eye out for more Dune content from us. Uh, you can also find us on Board Game Geek uh, and our guild, Guild 3103. Uh, you can join our Patreon and join... Uh, we, we're going to be having a tournament next year. You can join to be a part of the Galactic Council uh, which is voting on different board game topics that we can then talk about. Uh, you can be a space kitty for $50 a month, and that gives you access to your own episode, whatever you want to talk about. Right, right. Um, uh, also, though, tournament signups have closed. Yeah, at this point. it's over. Um, there's a lot of people on the wait list. Um, we're going to try and get everybody involved in the tournament as, uh, as possible. Um, we are going to try our best to make that happen. But uh, yeah, at this point, no 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 new sign up so we have we have plenty to try and yeah. figure out yeah uh and you can finally uh join us on our discord and there's just lots of ongoing conversations there all kinds of stuff about twilight imperium all kinds of stuff about dune lots of conversations about root these days and kind of anything and everything so come come hang out with us yeah um also hey my name's hunter i'm a comedian um uh first thing i want to do is actually let you know that i do another podcast it's called dumb and busted it is a true crime comedy podcast if that sounds like that is a at all up your alley i would encourage you to check it out we just got done doing an episode where we interviewed a guy running for district attorney for multnomah county which is uh, I'm, i live in portland oregon and that's our county and the fact that i was talking to a real politician doing like funny goofs while he told us like real crime statistics about like he he was like a a district attorney assistant basically in new orleans um really really cool uh stuff that i got to do really just out of nowhere um and he was like a really lovely guest and uh it's a 
it's pretty bad that I can't remember his name right now, but I was not prepared <laughs> to do this, but I'm just bringing it up. We did, we, we do some cool stuff over there. Please check it out. Um, and now I'm just going to throw a bunch of comedy dates at you. This weekend, I have the Ha Ha Harvest Festival, which is going on in Portland. A uh, pretty cool festival. I've been talking about it basically all month. I'm very excited about it. Day passes to the Ha Ha Harvest Festival are $29, and a festival pass is $49. Um, here are the shows I'm doing on Friday. On Friday, uh, November 20th, 29th, bleh, Friday, November 29th, I'm going to do two shows. One is called Comedy Cornucopia. That is at the Siren Theater. Starts at 6 o'clock. That is basically me and all of these comedians that I have no business being on a show with together because they're all way more successful than me. Uh, but I'll be hosting that show, which is super cool. That night at 10 p.m., I'll be doing Synchronous with Me, which is a synchronicity walk um, comedy show. Super fun. That is at Kelly's. Um, on Saturday, November 30th, I'll be doing Dumb and Busted. Oh, live. A live Dumb and Busted show. Um at four o'clock, uh, that is at Kelly's. And then later that night, I'll be doing um, Spec Script, also at Kelly's. That starts at 8.30. On Sunday, December 1st, um, I'll be on Forgotten Fantasies, which is like a talk show where we talk about weird pop culture stuff. That is at Kelly's Olympian, um, and that starts at 8 o'clock p.m. Sunday, December 1st, 8 o'clock p.m. And then I have something to announce that <sighs> is a very, very big deal to me. Um, and technically, I'm announcing this a day early. Um, <gasps> don't tell anyone until tomorrow. Yeah, please don't. Listening. Please don't tell any. Please don't. You know, don't post it on Facebook or anything um, until tomorrow. <laughs> and tomorrow, the story is actually going to come out. But the way things were, the way the way it was all going to work out was I wasn't actually going to get get to talk about this on the show before um, things really happened. So I got selected um, to be. Uh, in the Willamette Week, which is a Portland newspaper, they every year they do um, a poll, an industry poll, where they pick the top five comedians in Portland. And I was selected this year. Um, I am number four, um, which is exciting, but it is funny because somebody already got mad and said that I don't deserve that, which means <laughs> that I got fourth place at a competition and somebody was like, yeah, I don't think you deserve fourth place. And it's like, dude, it's <laughs> it's fourth place. Calm down. Um, but yeah, I am super honored. And it's like really crazy good even to be even to get fourth place is like a, yeah. a huge deal. Um, and so one of the prizes for getting this is um, there's going to be an article that you're going to get to read about me tomorrow, uh, which I hope is not horrible. I have no idea. I'm not writing it, but it is uh, a little scary to have somebody write a story about you. Um, but the biggest part of it is that on December 3rd, um, at Revolution Hall, which is an 800-seat venue, I will be performing at a showcase of the Willamette Week Funniest Five. Um, the show costs $15, and I think it's plus a little bit for a uh, service fee. Um, the doors are at 6 p.m., and the show is at 7. Uh, if you're interested at all in seeing me perform in a context that I have no right to be in and that I am so <laughs> crazy honored to, I, I cannot believe this is happening. It is like the biggest thing that's ever happened to me in comedy. Um, I hope I don't cry, um, <laughs> but uh, it sold out last year. Um, please, if you have any interest in seeing me do comedy and you're in Portland for it, this is the one. This is This has been the one since we started. This would be the one to see. Um, 15 bucks, see me perform in front of 800 people and basically freak out. Um, <laughs> really crazy, super nuts. Um, blew my mind and, uh, kind of destroyed my month because it was already going to be a really busy month. And then right. I get this news that I'm doing this thing 
and then they throw all this other stuff I got to do at what me. A good, what a good timing to go full-time for the show, huh? I know. It's like I went, <laughs> I, I turned 30, went full-time, and then got an award that I have been thinking about. I mean, I've been thinking about, man, every year I'm like, oh, I wish I could be on The Funniest Five. Every year for like five years. Yeah. Nah, less than that, but four <laughs> years, fine. Four years. I've been well. Congratulations, this. buddy! Yeah. I'm so freaking proud as heck of for you, and and can't wait to. I wish I could be at the show, but I know it's going to be a good one, and yeah. can't wait to see. And where hey, it, hey, where it goes from there? I'll yeah, I'll, I'll. This is the beginning of me getting theater work, um, which I bet will happen maybe once every two years for a little while. <laughs> but hopefully someday we'll we'll be getting some regular theater work. But yeah, this is a very uh, crazy, awesome step. Uh, for an amateur comedian such as myself, uh, and I am uh, I am super stoked. Uh, but also Dune, you know, maybe also I'll... Dune. Yeah, also Dune, and uh, also it's a Dune show. Thanks for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles, and thanks to Brian Capillus for the use of his music. You can find more at wanderinglake.bandcamp.com. The spice must flow.